0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Event Industry News podcast with me, James Dixon. Wishing you all a very good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever or wherever you tune into today's podcast from. It's a slightly chilly Monday morning up in Yorkshire this morning where I record the podcast from at home. Hence me wearing, if you're watching on video today, uh, my uh, nice hoodie emblazoned with the logo of the most mediocre team. Uh, in league football at the moment and the team as I should add uh, as we're recording this the weekend after the third round of the FA Cup the team with the most losses at the third round stage in football history having gone out this weekend at home to Bournemouth 3-2 we've now gone out of the FA Cup 52 times at the third round stage I'm of course talking about Queens Park Rangers that is an early plug and possibly the first plug for them on the podcast um and the reason I mention all of that is because we were talking a bit of football off air before we uh, hit record today with my guest um but I promise you that it won't be as boring as that for the rest of the episode we are going to move on to all things event related and talk I suppose a little bit about career pathway talk about what's happening in the industry at the moment and talk about the particular events that my guest today is involved in. I'm delighted to say that on the podcast for the first time, but somebody who we have spoken to through Event Industry News before, but a long time ago, is Jeremy King. Jeremy is the CEO and the founder of Festival of Media and joins the podcast this morning. Jeremy, good morning to you.
1: Good morning, James. Lovely to hear you. Lovely to see you. Um, And it's a very cold London here as well, where I am in the Festival of Media HQ in the Business Design Centre.
0: Absolutely, and the Business Design Centre—what a great venue that is as well. Um, I've been there a few times, and it yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's great location, yeah. great venue, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's fantastic.
0: We have been here five years now, and it's brilliant because every
1: day there is something different happening in the events industry. There's either conferences, meetings, or exhibitions on the main floor. So, kind of creativity, and if you love to be creative, it's a, a, a mind sense boggling of mindset, There's a cacophony of ideas on display kind of every single week here which is which is great
0: yeah and, and maybe it's a slight left turn you know at the very start of today's podcast but if anybody listening to this or watching this today hasn't come across a business design center before i urge you know go, go and check it out if you're an, an event organizer because great great sort of mixture of spaces in there you know you trade show uh level stuff conference level stuff modern slightly older sort of looking spaces you know it's it's a, it's a really sort of great great funky venue
1: yes yeah we we were in a, a we work before and the site. I, I always compare this the we work is a bit like dubai and singapore with kind no, of no soul and no real culture and mm. the business design center is is very different business design center is like a, an india or a london somewhere that's got a bit of history to it and it is great a great space with a variety of events from the whole show i think which is on now to the famed christmas fair which has a probably the oldest demographic in any events industry event, I think, at
0: the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And and we'll, we'll move on, but a little shout The last time I was there was actually for the, I think it was the AO uh, Summit that was there um, a couple of sort of Christmases ago. So yeah, shout out to those guys. That was, that was the last time I was down at the, uh, at the BDC. And um, yeah, check it out as a venue. Uh, Jeremy, you're we don't, often on the podcast, we have a really sort of fixed topic. Like we get a guest <laughs> on and we say, right, this is what we're getting you on to talk about, and this is what we're going to focus on. It's it's a little bit different today, and indeed with some of the episodes that are coming up for, for regular listeners of the podcast, because we're going to, with some of our guests, I think the sort of next four or five, it's going to be a, a little bit looser in terms of really looking at the events industry, looking at people's professional backgrounds, how they've got to the stages of, of where they are. In the introduction, I said that you're the CEO and founder of Festival of Media, and we'll very much get onto that and look at that in a bit more detail on what it is, Jeremy. But it would be really good if you could just maybe give our, our podcast guests a little sort of potted history of of your own background, because you've had some really sort of varied jobs that retain a similar theme, if that makes sense, over the course of your career. Just give give our guests a little bit of a background as to, as to how you arrived at, at the point today.
1: Yes, no problem at all. It is very varied. Um, I started, believe it or not, as a local journalist on uh, local newspapers. So back in the days before Trinity and Mirror merged together, and I think they're the reach group now, it was Trinity newspapers. And Mm. I went, I did the usual thing, university, went traveling, came back, oh my God, need to get a job. And looked around, had done some writing, had run a a hip hop radio show at university, which had all of about four listeners, but uh, we enjoyed it because me and the my host played uh, lots of late eighties, early nineties, mid nineties hip hop, which was wonderful. Uh, and and I've kind of got a bug for media that that way, but I wasn't sure how to get into it. So I, the one thing is, I can tell you, maybe there's some younger viewers and listeners as well. I wrote probably enough letters to every single publication in the country in the uk at the time but could probably fill a decent sized office and i think i heard back from one company who said to me you should do this thing called an nctj which was a a national course for trainee journalists i found a local place that did it and i could do it in three months did that did some work experience at shoot magazine because i loved football back in the day for, for ipc and uh, That was really, really exciting. I got to interview uh, Duncan Ferguson on my second day as an intern there, um, which is very exciting. So another a little football football league there. Obviously nothing too taxing, but I think at the time it was something like, what's your, your favourite colour? What's your uh, favourite cereal? Etc. So very light touch. <laughs> um, I, I did that, finished my course and then managed to get Trinity Mirror to take me on at uh, Calling News of all places down in West Sussex. So I... Kind of commuted down to, to Crawley to, to work on the Crawley news. And I sort of got the bug as I was there, you do kind of everything from local news reporting to court reporting to council reporting. Uh, there was a, an entertainment section that wasn't being filled. And, and Crawley, where it was kind of equidistant between London and Brighton, I figured there was this huge vibrant scene where everyone kind of wanted to go. So I set up the, the entertainment pages and we gradually expanded from like one to six pages and we were doing. Music reviews, film reviews, clubbing reviews, um, theatre reviews, interviews with those actors that had come off TV and were going into stage shows that were travelling around the country. So it became this really great piece. And after kind of three years of, of doing that and then becoming editor of one of their sister newspapers, the East Grinstead Observer, I then went to This Is London, which was at the time Groundbreaking in that it was 2001, and it was essentially the website for the Evening Standard. And at that time, you still had to pay to buy the Evening Standard. I, I remember
0: interested. it well. Standard, yeah. Standard, go at the top of the uh, escalators.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Always around Victoria train station, right? Um, so, so I went there. And we, I had this little kind of entertainment team and the brief was to do film reviews, music reviews. And it was amazing. We were getting sent all these CDs. We were going to watch movies in the day. Uh, And then one day I got a call from the editor of The Evening Standard at the time who said, and, and obviously this wouldn't happen now, said, oh my goodness, you know, you're breaking these music and film reviews on a Monday, but People are reading the standards. They're not out till Thursday. You're taking away our readership, which which we weren't. We were creating a new readership. They didn't know at the time. Uh, So anyway, that all kind of went a bit. They said, be right. We're going to get rid of your team. And you're now going to cut and paste copy from the Mirror, the Mail and the Metro, which at the time were all part of the same group. Mm. And I just was like, you know what? This isn't really journalism for me. So I handed in my notice uh, and then someone reached out to me from Haymarket Publishing at the time and said they want to launch this new magazine called RSVP Magazine. It's a B2B magazine, at which point I went, I've oh got B2B, that's not that exciting. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I went to see them, and they explained to me that they wanted this B2B magazine to be completely different to any other magazine in the portfolio. It would be the sister magazine to event magazine, and effectively it was all around the people making heroes out of the people behind the events or the parties of music release party, movies, etc. So it was very, very exciting. So I, I went there and um, we we had that, and we launched that magazine and it was a sister spin out from Event Magazine, which had been there a few years prior. Uh, and then it was kind of one of those things where B2B publishing was not being unsuccessful, but you were kind of merging things together. So we merged RSVP yeah. and Event Magazine together and I went on to, to edit. And that was my My first taste, I suppose, of understanding the events industry and what it was about and getting to meet some of the most creative people that I've met to this day, actually. And and it's wonderful to see so many of those creative agencies and event and experiential agencies and exhibition organizers still going and seeing some of those creative names and faces still still plying their trade. So I I was running Event Magazine. And then in 2007, I got... uh, asked if I'd also like to run media week magazine, which Mm. was all around the advertising industry. Uh, So I was running event and media week, which was, which was fantastic. But I think the key for me was identifying that actually both of these brands were not just in the print world anymore. And that in order to survive, we had to be in the digital space, but most importantly, we had to be in the event space. So we would sit down as an editorial team. And I think at the time. I was probably one of about three out of 78 editors within Haymarket who, were, who could keep editorial integrity, but at the same time could understand how to commercialize certain parts of editorial without compromising the integrity. And Always
0: a difficult balance in B2B, isn't it?
1: Yeah, hugely, hugely difficult. And trying to understand, you know, how do we make this brand even more successful? And, and what you saw was, We kind of went out into the to the event space even more and and you know those touch points that you can get from the live space those touch points that you can show and tell and and get people to really immerse themselves into a a product or a brand and and that's effectively what we started to do and we started to bring together the you know the brands the clients the event agencies the exhibition agencies Uh, With the suppliers, everyone from your AV to your sound, and then equally on the Media Week side, it was taking creating events there where you're bringing together the the media agencies, the brands and the marketeers, uh, and then the publishers uh, and all of the other media owners. So, so that was my that was where I really got into events, Uh, and that that was one of our big things. And then from there, I'd kind of been at Haymarket ten years and started to think, you know, what else? Uh, and as the, at the time, the campaign, had, well, I then was very much immersed in the events world and the person who, Rebecca Kane, in fact, was running Alexandra Palace, had just been poached to run the O2 for AEG. And as a fan of music and sport, she invited me to go and see her. We had a chat and then she created um, a comms and marketing director role for me at the O2. And at, the, at that point, I thought it was an absolute dream. And there was some uh, some amazing things I did. My brief was to ensure that the O2 became more than just a gig venue. So it became a destination for True. families, yeah. for couples. Uh, and it was brilliant. We had the cinema in there. We launched up at the O2, which is the walk you can do across the O2. And one of my favorite ever things to kind of help launch that was we we had 30 Seconds to Mars' PR and agencies come to us and said, you know, the band want to do something different. Can you come up with some ideas? And I kind of went away and came up with this concept that wouldn't it be amazing if we could identify five super fans of 30 Seconds to Mars and have them do the walk with the band. So effectively, you were strapped in next <laughs> to Gerard Leto and his brothers. And absolutely, probably one of the, 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 the best, events I did was have these five superfans of and myself and my pr manager at the time and we my comms manager at the time and we walked across the O2 while connected to to Gerard Leto i've i've uh, never been more excited when someone said can i double fist pump you <laughs> which, uh, which 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 sounds bizarre and what i can tell you is he was he was very nice a little bit strange and had the silkiest smoothest shiniest hair i've ever seen on a man
0: <laughs> <laughs> no more lustrous hair than on Jared Leto walking over the O2. Again, yes. Who'd have thought that was going to crop up in a podcast this morning?
1: Absolutely. So, so we took them up there, and then they performed for these. And then, then what it did we got the next tier of fans up, and we could have forty people on that top, and we had them perform three songs live on the top of the O2, which was, which uh, is unbelievable.
0: Yeah, and and, and all, all of this, this, this journey so far, the publishing, the journalism the uh variation in in the publications that you are writing for the people that you would have had to visit and interview to see that moving into the o2 all, all of this is i suppose a brilliant building blocks and experience for being able to see first of all at a distance and then in a more immersive sense how the event industry operates because whether it's a gig whether or not it's a conference an awards event you know there are similarities around the events industry in terms of how you promote an event in terms of how you run them in terms of the standards that you want to deliver them and the the way that you want to present your event to its particular audience regardless of what it is and and, and i'm guessing and i hope you say that all, all of those experiences combined ultimately to lead you to to, to running your own events and launching things like festival of media
1: absolutely no with, without a shadow of a doubt and i think what's amazing and and which Is kind of very underrated when the events industry is not the best at promoting itself in circles outside of its own kind of size if you think and i i I think what was great for me was i had this kind of event magazine business we had media week and actually you know you look at some of these media agencies and look at the brands that are marketing so you know if you take a a png for example procter and gamble the biggest spending brand in the world on marketing right so their their budget is 2.2 billion dollars a year on marketing and you know a very small amount of that is put into events but actually they all want to do events which is really interesting and it's about that kind of educational piece so being able to I suppose holistically sit across events and media has been really really interesting and you're right all of these experiences came together and Basically, I, I did my time at the O2 and someone came to me via someone else and said, look, we're looking at buying this particular business, which had the Festival of Media within it, and we'd like you to, to come in and be part of that. And now the, the original founder was a, I suppose a, ri- a friendly rival of mine for many, many years who had set up this, this great business. Unfortunately, he ran it a bit too much like a lifestyle business, thinking he was bill gates without the bill gates funding and uh and inevitably that goes that goes one way so i I came into to this business and there were it the problem was it was trying to do too many things and be too many different things so it took about three or four years to kind of actually get underneath the skin of everything and work out what the business was and festival media effectively was set up to serve the global media industry so there's a huge event which I'm sure many of the listeners and viewers know about, which is the, the Can Lion Advertising Festival, which Essential now run and produce. Now, in the media and advertising world, that has been going for 80 odd years and was specifically set up to look at the creative ideas. So, the creative ideas of the media, but there was nothing else. That focused on the work that was being produced by the media agencies for their clients. So, the whole media package from buying and planning the media. So, you know, in layman's terms, you know, where you're buying now, your Facebook ads and who you want them to appear next to, where you're buying your TV, your radio, your out of home advertising, your event strategy and your touch point strategy. There was nothing that was there for the media agency. So, Festival came about after conversations with the global CEOs for all the media agencies from Mediacom to PhD, to OMG, to Havas, publicists, etc. And it was designed to give the global media industry an opportunity to come together and to celebrate the amazing work they're doing. So effectively, it was set up in 2007 with a conference and a set of awards, Festival Media Global Awards and Festival Media Conference. And the conference kind of was the idea of educating, connecting and doing business. And then the awards was to celebrate the amazing media work that these companies have done for their clients over the last kind of year. Uh, it proved so popular that within three years we had launched Festival Media Latam for the Latin American market. Sure, yeah. uh, The year later was Festival Media APAC for the APAC market. Then we launched Festival Media MENA, then North America, and then two years ago one of the the biggest growing categories we had across all of our global programs and awards was uh, media campaigns that had cause in them so if you are looking at a unilever brand which which could be you know anything from ice cream to shampoo you would look at right they want to sell and market their products but at the same time they want to try and make the world a better place so they'll be marketing their products but actually they'll, they'll be helping people so There was an amazing campaign, a beer brand in New Zealand, which really inspired this program, a beer brand in New Zealand. And it wanted to be number one beer brand in New Zealand. So it decided to put all of its beer and pay for all of its beer in all the beach bars in New Zealand. But at the same time, New Zealand's beaches were being decimated. The sand was being taken by developers for new housing, new office blocks, etc. So they put two glass recycling machines next to every beach bar. So any bottle of beer you had, you would then do the theatre, of putting it into the machine, it would create sand. Over a four-year period, they rebuilt all of New Zealand's beaches and they became the number one beer brand. So it's all about you know, how do you seamlessly put a cause or a purpose into your marketing campaign that promotes and sells your products but is giving something back to, to, to the rest of the uh, world. And, and
0: without dumbing that down, a lot of people are doing dry January and what we've just demonstrated is, you know, save save the planet, drink Yes bottled beer
1: yeah yeah so it's it's, yeah and it's 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 unbelievable so so yeah so we so we had these conferences and awards and then just before covid struck in 2019 we and i'll be very candid here you know i was looking at everything and we were producing these conferences that went alongside all of these awards programs and it was unbelievable you think my gosh i've got a team of i don't know 25 at the time who were working on conferences and we only had three people working on awards and this awards business was growing and growing and growing the conferences as anyone who organizes conferences will tell you are very time intensive to create uh, you can drive amazing revenues but the costs are phenomenal particularly when you're based in the uk and you're you're doing them overseas so we took the bold step to stop doing our conferences and focus on awards and become an awards-only business uh, in 2019, and this yeah. was about six months before COVID struck, uh, and that that again provided challenges in itself because suddenly you're like, oh my God, you know what's what's going to happen, and, and we were very lucky because we'd opened for our APAC awards in the October of 2019, and then their deadline was the end of January 2020, so we had kind of not been ahead of COVID in any shape, way or form, but we kind of knew what was happening because we were dealing with China, India, yeah, Australia, India. Yeah. So, so we put ourselves in the place and, and that kind of, we, you know, there was a panic, but I, I suppose before I go on to, to what happened there, one thing we, we had decided to change was within the media industry, awards nights and awards programs and awards ceremonies in particular, the media people are very, very spoiled in terms of the events they go to and the experiences mm-hmm. they have. They had kind of got a little bit tired of sit-down, black-tied dinners. So we had come up with a new format of you turn up, there's networking, drinks, loads of food stations, and you can have post tables, and you can talk on them. So there was this whole networking area, which was kind of hospitality as well. And then alongside that, we'd have a separate room And it would be the cinema room and in that cinema room we would have popcorn sweets drinks more nibbles and there'd be a screen and it would be playing all of the shortlisted videos of the ads that were up for awards that day so so you'd have a couple of hours of this and then you would go into the theater uh, and you would have a full-on kind of oscars experience where you'd be handed wine and sweets, pick a mix and drinks, and then we'd do the awards and then you'd go back to networking afterwards for the desserts. No, if,
0: I could, if I could dive in at that point, yeah, awards awards production and scripting, planning, you know, actually scheduling the production of an award ceremony is, for anybody that's not done it, is, is a far more complicated task than, you, than people may realise. Um, particularly when you've got a lot of categories, you want to be able to give everybody that's been shortlisted, you know, some airtime, so to speak, um, having those shortlisted categories and the ads running during that networking period, does that allow you to then remove the need to show that when you get to those categories in the actual awards production itself so that you can go straight into it and keep things ticking over a little bit quicker?
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So you so you end up where you have three Grand prix at the end, which is based on the the points won by the, by the most popular campaign of the year, for example, and you would then only show the two-minute video of the campaign of the year, and maybe one or two others within the actual awards yeah. presentation part itself. And for for that reason alone, because you know what it's like, people are only interested in the categories that they're shortlisted in or the work they're interested in.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely. And and I, as a freelancer, I produce an award ceremony for the local newspaper where I'm based, and their thing is to always have a video that shows the the finalists in any given that shows the finalist in the category and every year i said the videos are too long the videos are too long you need to edit them down and every year they promise me they're going to do it and every year they give me they send me a file with 17 videos in there for each of the 17 categories each one that's about five or six minutes long and so literally the host has to say Here's the next category. Here's a little bit about it. Let's take a look at the finalists lights down and 500 people have got to sit there in an arena watching a five minute, six minute video. And they've got to watch 17 of them. And you just, you by by category 16, 17, at the end of the night was supposed to be the big awards. You've lost people's attention. People people who don't work in the event sector and work in awards regularly. Sometimes I think it's in the fairest way fail to understand just how easy it is to lose an audience in that environment when they've come for drinking when they've come for socializing when they've come for networking it's really important to to, to look at how what their attention span is and, and how you keep that attention throughout the event
1: without a doubt i mean it's it's it's, it's crucial and it's key and, and i think it goes back for us you're right the, the logistics and the organization it's really interesting because the team and i you know the team that are in Involved in bringing the entries in and bringing the submissions in and then putting together what the jury are and what the judging sessions are like it it, they're very much like project managers on their own as opposed to just kind of awards executives or awards manager it's very you have to have a real project minded kind of thought process to ensure nothing falls between between the gaps and that those logistics are, are, are so key on it on everything you know people want to have a great experience and then on the back end you you've got to make sure that everything works for you internally but equally it's it's a great experience for the clients on the on the front end um so yeah we 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 kind of changed the format around and that held us in great stead when we had to go into the virtual world in 2000 and kind of mid 2020 yeah um there's nothing quite as demoralizing as presenting in front of a tv screen jumping up and down in uh, your office uh, in, in, in the bottom of the garden uh, yeah. while your neighbours are looking at you thinking that you're some sort of nutter as so you jump up and down <laughs> handing out awards in the virtual in the virtual space but I, I think having seen a lot of other companies try to pre-record their award shows and try to get talent that would send, say jokes it was really difficult in the virtual space and, and we kind of we looked at it and we're like well let's let's just do something different we we kept it live so we were virtual but live so yeah. we would go to the winners around the world uh, via teams via zoom actually uh, and we do yeah. zoom webinar we, we checked out about 15 i say 15, probably about 50 different platforms and we came back to zoom webinar and and trying to keep that that engagement um is is, is crucial you know i'd announce a winner. And then we would play a song that related to the campaign that won. So uh, a campaign called Kiss the Bottles, one account what one for Budweiser. So we would curate a song and it would be Kiss by you know Prince Playing. While that song is playing, the rest of the team are looking for the person in webinar to bring them onto the stage so that their box appears here. So you you end up you know improvising like you've never improvised before so you know i created some sort of dad dancing memes and <laughs> to the point that you know at some points we'd get people who then wanted to dance off with me on their screens and and it, you
0: know it but, but, but cool. from, from a continuity point of view and i said i said off air at the very beginning we that this was going to be one that could go in any direction <laughs> yes yeah, sorry <with> this, conversation. <laughs> but th- this um th- from a continuity point of view i i, I firmly believe that when we had to shift and do these digital awards events, particularly um, in lockdown, that you're suddenly thinking from a continuity point of view, people sharpened their game significantly, I think, because they realize that if people are watching on a screen, it's different when you have the winners walking up in a big event space, walking up to stage. That's an opportunity for people to sip their drink, to chat to their mates around the table, to take some photos of the people walking up to the stage you don't you do think about continuity but not as sharp a way as you do when you're effectively producing a live tv broadcast and i think then that having done that in the pandemic has sharpened up people's live events quite a bit since then i've seen much sharper better delivered and and with sharper continuity live events now because of some of the things that people had to consider during those digital times i'm just curious have you have you since then gone back to in-person stuff and has that helps as that experience you know sharpen things up for you
1: yeah without a doubt and it's been really interesting because 2023 was the first year we went back to having some form of live event so firstly we got the the judging back on the live space which is great the problem we have is the regional ones and the global ones is we'd always been fair, fairly inclusive and to want to be even more inclusive, trying to ensure you get judges from around the world. We're very lucky that London is, London is one of four global hubs for the media industry. So effectively brands from APAC and LATAM will come to London to do business. So amongst that time, we'll try and get some judges uh, and equally people to our events. But what we have discovered is that during virtual, we were able, particularly with our global events, to say, start at 12.30 UK time, but it meant we had the APAC audience still awake and we had the US audience just waking up. So we found this optimum time. And then we were like, well, what do we do with the global events? So two things that come up were, A, we can be much more creative and B, let's collaborate. So what we've started to do is use some of our media agency partners and they all have fantastic event spaces. So we have been using them as as venue partners. So we created something for our first media global event last year at Havas. And what the virtual world has allowed us to do is to still have a virtual audience and still have a live audience. But actually we do it a global event in London at lunchtime. So our guests now, and we've got this whole kind of process set up where the guests arrive, they have uh, food and drinks, and they network for a good hour. Then the event starts, at an hour later and then we go through the awards program give all the winners out give all the trophies out and then have networking again afterwards and you're still only at four o'clock which is absolutely amazing because yeah. from an inclusive point of view it means you know single parents or parents who haven't got care can get back to pick up their kids people who don't want to do that can go back and go back to the office if they want to or they can go out or they can stay on a network. So it's, it, it's been really interesting. And we've certainly sharpened them. For us, it's all about the most important thing for us, actually, in the new world of live events has become AV and making sure that AV is, is spot on. And mm-hmm. two examples of that are we've been using a, a company here, been Think AV, I'm sure they won't understand their name. They've been, sure. they've been phenomenal and really helpful. And we didn't have them in the US for our North America Awards in the second week of December last year and it was really notable we used the in-house av team and and it there was a few frustrations because they weren't as good as the professional av unit that we we bring in sure. uh, and and that to be fair that and the hospitality is where the, the the big costs are now are now coming if you want to create a hybrid event or you've got a an event that has to go out to regions so for latin america for us we'll be based in miami which is the hub but Obviously, you've got Peru, Argentina, Chile, Brazil, et etc., uh, and the same with APAC, actually.
0: Yeah, and and a- a- AV is an interesting one because again, I- I've had experiences of, of using of bringing you know teams in and then working in venues where it's in house, as I'm sure a lot of people who, who listen to this have. And and there are pros and cons to it. Um, you know, I, there's one venue which I won't, I won't name, but I've worked in before, which is it's it's got a fantastic in house setup in terms of the hardware that's there the team themselves are not what i'd say you know, don't have that sort of pro level understanding of an awards event again going back to things like continuity the sharpness that has to happen between transitions with lighting with audio stings with video with you know all sorts of stuff happening fade outs and music as as winners walk off stage and it's simple stuff but all of those little elements i think add up to a really professional well run really well produced event that gives a good experience for the audience and it, it, it it's, a, it's an interesting point that you raise there about you know the benefits of bringing your own people sometimes with you who understand the event who understand what you want from it
1: yeah without a doubt and similarly with your video crew now they become even more important because you're trying to capture the moment you're trying to make it as seamless as possible for the for the audience And and you know we're still doing you know we'll have a you know, we may have a winner from, you know, maybe doing the global event and we've got a winner from the US, but we may have someone in the room who's coming to collect the award on their behalf. Sure. They will then tune in virtually. So we then, it, to be able to go to them virtually and have them comment on their win and have the person in the room as well, it's just brilliant. What 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 it's allowed us to do. And, and I, you know, I, I think this, particularly if you're doing events, where you've got an audience in different countries. The hybrid event is just great because people still do want to have that live element. What I've noticed is that I I think one of the big changes has been, particularly in the media industry, we're very much an industry that likes to do lunches, that likes to network, that would go to pre-pandemic, maybe two or three work events uh, a week. That, That has now completely changed where it's become one work event maybe once a month and one event with your friends once a month as a, as an outing so that's another thing you've got to be really on is working out what are the key days that people would attend uh, an industry event and and from what we've worked outside of thursdays definitely seem to be the key but i think tuesday wednesday thursdays playing into when people are in the offices is a is a, is a good
0: example so thursday's the classic isn't it because you know it's 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 in the working week but you know fridays if you know people are willing sometimes to write off fridays if it's a heavy thursday you yeah know, you're not you're not sacrificing loads of your week but you know from a, a b2b event point of view i think predominantly with a few exceptions, Fridays and weekends is always a no-no, isn't it? Because people don't yes. want to sacrifice their personal time. So it's the classic Thursday corporate.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. You're absolutely right. Um, and look, it's, it, what, what's fantastic is, look, I, I think a few things have come out of the pandemic in particular has been that want for people to collaborate, which is really exciting, and wanting to come together and utilise their resources and to produce something exciting and then just the level of creativity has risen again because you know you were working with tiny budgets or in most cases no budgets trying to put something together that had a creative spark or a creative element to it Mm -hmm. and trying to 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 resonate with with your audience I, I think you know and I'm lucky enough that we work in the advertising and the media industry but effectively kind of we're an events organization in that industry so it's really interesting to be able to to, to see both and I, i've always been a fan of trying to how do you how do you make events sit at the same table as the media industry uh, the media agency and the creative agency right for, for a client and, yeah, and we're starting and, to get there but it's difficult
0: there's a pressure as well with with, with what you do given that your the the, the the people who are shortlisted and finalists in your awards are creatives themselves? They're delivering things to an exceptional standard, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the 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 actual material that they're outputting, whether or not it's, you know, static digital online stuff or or video or TV advertising, whatever the campaigns are that have been created by the people you are um, celebrating within your own awards. There there there's, must be a pressure there as well that you deliver to the same standard that they deliver at. Oh, without a doubt,
1: without a doubt. I mean, I you know it's it's tough trying to create a a really good event it's i think i suppose for us a little bit it's become a bit more pragmatic in the sense that people want to enter awards now that they feel have a great reputation the judging process is as as objective as possible uh and then trying to do an event that's not the same event they go to so for us, it's about ensuring we've got more and more of the clients there, which we, we tend to do. And then you've got the media agencies and everyone else wants to come. But they're very much, yeah, trying to trying to do something that's like smooth, seamless, and has and a real purpose is, is the key thing these days.
0: To, something I want to ask you, and I'm, I'm conscious of time here because you know we're we're, we're rattling through lo- you know loads of stuff, and and I, I've got one eye on the clock, and it's always a good sign of an episode that the <laughs> clock's tick. I go oh, crikey, we're, we're nearly forty <laughs> minutes in. But the uh, going back to B two B publishing and being probably still around Haymarket. Do you say around two thousand and eight? That that period of time. Yes. I was working in B2B publishing for for a much smaller sort of local uh, organisation that published B2B magazines on a national level. And 2008, we had the financial crash. And that really prompted a massive shift in hindsight to digital media. That was really the catalyst for people suddenly uh, re-analyzing and rethinking where they were spending their money. Do you think Festival of Media would exist in the shape and form that it does now had we not had that financial crash in 2008 was that in effect a driving factor in reshaping the media and thus giving you the opportunity to to launch Festival of Media
1: yeah I think you're absolutely right I think I think that 2008 and I think back now to those Haymarket days and if you look it was really interesting I was in a Meeting there with all of the other editors of our B two B titles, which I think at that time was about sixty different titles, and there were literally three of us that said to the editors that were like, "Oh, we don't need to worry about events. We don't need to worry about digital. Print is always going to be around." And 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 I said to them all, "I said, look, you know, in a few years' time, you know, you'll be lucky if you still have jobs if you stick to that to that remit." And I think you're absolutely right. That need for kind of faster content for Faster resonation really kind of prompted what what we did and and actually we talk about this a lot and and not with our awards but with every set of awards if you've got a set of awards that you enter for whatever industry that have a i suppose a value and a credence i e they you know they're sought after and they they can have a game changing effect on your business from you know ensuring a better internal culture people whose work gets entered and put in front of peers are going to be delighted to taking and winning new business which is where we are I think that 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 whole thing around you know wanting that is great content marketing and, and really cost effective marketing as well for, for, for the business and I, and I definitely think that the way the industry reacted after that and, and moved and you know in some cases you know and a market not on its own there you know the big organizations were a little slower to do that but I think as a smaller organization, you have that opportunity to be much more agile and to be able to change things and and try things. And if they fail, you know, start again. There's no, you know, you haven't got lots of red tape to get through. But yeah, definitely that that whole change. And I think COVID was, you know, in some respects, a bit like the 2008 crash where people then reset and got the creativity back on board. And, and, and I think people were trying to overcomplicate things, particularly in in an industry like media and advertising where technology is being developed kind of every single day and there's something new and shiny and i think people have got the fundamentals of actually you you need to resonate with people and you need to have that creativity that engages with them and you need to understand their values and their culture and i and i, I always believe my passion for events is that the events can can do that and it's the only way to do it i think the the, the biggest The biggest thing for events, well, two biggest things really is trying to, I don't think anyone's properly done it where you measure the real success in terms of how you can measure television viewerships, how you can measure page impressions, click-throughs, etc. I think we still lack that as a as an industry, and 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 that kind of sometimes holds us holds us back, particularly when I'm seeing all this stuff happening in in the media world. Um, but I think once we get that right, it's great. I think some of the stuff that Rick Stainton is doing with the, you know, the events and bringing events together and trying to get them on the agenda of the government and everywhere else is is, is a brilliant way of of going about it. Mm,
0: absolutely. We're um, we're we're starting to wrap up today's episode, but but before we do, Jeremy, just um, give us a little bit of of, of uh, you know oversight about the events this year, when they're taking place. You know what what your sort of schedule and calendar for the year looks like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're we're open for Festival Media APAC Awards already, so we opened at the start of last year for for this year. So we have that happens at the end of March. Alongside that, we're open for our Festival Media Global Awards program, which again that happens at the first week of June. And then once that's open, our M M&M, and M once that closes, our M M&M and M Global Awards open, uh, followed by our Festival Media LATAM, then Cause, and then North America kind of wraps up the year for us. So. It's a pretty, pretty intense six program year, not much, not much rest. I mean, we even had entries from China on Christmas Day this year, which is, uh, which is quite interesting. So um, I was getting emails from submission entries um, on Christmas Day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, so So, a a rolling, intense calendar, you know, whereas some, you know, a lot of media organizations will, uh, they'll have a team responsible for delivering maybe one or two awards a year relating to maybe a publication or a, a sector that they work within, but to sort of be on a sort of a rolling schedule of internationally run awards as well that are pretty much, you know, every couple of months you've got something coming up that's um, an intense calendar. If people want to find out more about that uh, and they want to, you know, speak to you directly or just see what what you're up to, where do they find you?
1: Yeah, I'd definitely go to our website, which is festivalofmedia.com, nice and easy. And we are on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Insta as Festival of Media or at Festival of Media. Uh, and then we've recently launched a TikTok channel. So if you want a good laugh, my team made me do some <laughs> content for a channel of which I'm probably about five years
0: too old. But uh, there's some interesting content on there. It's been brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, no, no problem at all. And um, before we wrap up today, just the, the usual sort of shout out and plugs for, for what we're doing over at Event Industry News. If you're listening to this today on uh, on your podcast platform, don't forget to head over to eventindustrynews.com when you next get a chance. You can check out the latest news, special features, supplements, all that good stuff that's been produced by the team at Event Industry News. Whilst you're there, you can check out video versions of all of our podcasts. And of course, you can check out the A to Z supplier directory. If you work in the events industry and you're looking for a product, a service, a supplier, chances are you will find it within the A to Z supplier directory over on Event Industry News. Dot com. If that is where you have started today, and you've watched the podcast on video via the event industry news website. Thanks very much for tuning in. Please don't forget to go in the other direction. And uh, wherever you get your audio podcasts from, make sure that you subscribe so that you get each weekly version of the event Institute news podcast as and when it drops, um, which brings us to the end of today's episode. My thanks to my guest once again, um, Jeremy King, who's the CEO and founder of Festival of Media. Jeremy, thanks for uh, taking a bit of time out at the start. Of the week. Mondays is always a, a, a great day to, to speak to people, but not not necessarily the best day for their calendars. So we appreciate you taking a little bit of time out today to have a chat with us.
1: No problem. Thank you, Joe. It's been a pleasure. Hopefully there's some good insight in there for people to uh, enjoy or at least chuckle at
0: absolutely and uh, yeah thanks to everybody for tuning into the podcast i said keep your eye out on the next few episodes that are dropping similar sort of conversations with different people but you know maybe not necessarily with specific agendas but uh, evolving conversations about what's happening in the industry it's been great to speak to jeremy today and uh, we'll see you all on the next edition of the event industry news podcast thanks everybody
1: thank you